Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. One last time as we end this book here tonight. Paul has just finished exhorting the church to be at peace amongst themselves, to be a healthy body of believers. And now Paul goes through what seems like just a list of good things to do, but it's not. It's not going to be just a list of good things to, to keep track of or, or try to do. This has been the key all along. Has been seeing Jesus as the answer for the Christian life. Remember, Paul was only with these believers for three weeks, and then he got ushered out of town. If you remember all the way back to chapter 1, and he told them, this is what made you a real church. This is what Jesus did in your life. This is why it succeeded, because your eyes were fixed on him. He was your focus, and that's why you were sounding forth the gospel to everyone. That's why when Timothy came back in chapter 2, he didn't have to do anything because you had already done it all. There was no one else to tell about Jesus because you had already told everyone. In chapter 2 also, Paul told them, this is what we did. This is what the preacher's approach was. This is how we approached you with the gospel. We didn't come with, with our words. We came with the Lord's words, and we came... Uh, in in tenderness, in meekness towards you, in the love of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what I was getting to the entire time, seeing Christ for who he is and seeing Christ work in you and for this end. And we find that here at the end of chapter 5. So this is what he leaves them with. Let's look at verse 23 and 24 first, if we can, now that you've found your place there. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And often we use that verse to talk about maybe a calling that God has given us, maybe the calling of a pastor, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And the same does apply. But he's talking specifically about what's just been said in this chapter, and we're going to go through that in just a minute. All of these different things leading up to the very God of peace keeping you, you holy, holy, blameless, mind soul, body, spirit, soul, body, all of it, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The entire burden, the Thessalonians realized, the entire burden to stay right with God, the entire burden to stay in Christ, rests on Christ alone. The burden rests with him. This is a key truth that uh, Micah and I have been learning almost side by side really during his internship is the burden rests with Jesus. When the things go right and when the things don't seem to go right, it always rests with him. The burden always rests on God for whatever you're called to do. This doesn't mean as a church that we just become passive robots and we don't do anything. It doesn't, it, but it does mean that in God's love towards you and his calling you to be more like his son, he carries the burden completely. 
in, in the, of that work that he's calling you to do, that work in which he's trying to work in you, he carries the complete burden. So let's read the entire passage now, starting in verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and pray God, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the, holy, uh, by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, I won't deal much with that last part, okay? I'm not going to talk about giving holy kisses here tonight, okay? Those are reserved for my wife. All right? <laughs> but that, that is, that's something there just within the culture. That was, this, was a, this was the end of a letter, and he was, he was telling them that he, he was affectionate towards them. In that culture, it was okay. All right, but don't go, go around kissing people here tonight, all right? I don't think anybody would be, <laughs> would be fond of that. But the rest of this passage here has everything to do with us. God wants, God wants us to, to understand his faithfulness here tonight and understand that the entire burden of us resting in Christ to fulfill the law, yes, our focus is not the law, our focus is Christ, but our entire being, being kept in Christ, being sanctified, being set apart to God, all of that rests in Christ. All of the burden to keep us jointly in a relationship with God, it's all on Him. So let's pray here tonight. Father, thank you that the burden here, Lord, doesn't rest with us. Lord, you haven't given us that pressure. Uh, Lord, you, you've taken that all on yourself. Lord, Lord just, just like you did with sin, and you paid the entire price for our sin, Lord, you've given us your righteousness and you've adopted us now into your family. And Lord, you, you, you keep us by the power of your blood. Lord, I pray that you'd show us here tonight how to walk freely in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we step into these lists, this list of seven different commands, you can almost get lost by going from one to one and saying, man, how is this even possible how is this possible to do this thing or this thing all the time? Uh, does God really expect somebody to do these things? And I want you to remember here tonight, remember the goal is not, not sinning. We heard that back when uh, Dr. John was here with us. When the goal becomes just not sinning, focusing on the sin, and we end up, focusing on it, and we find ourselves slipping and falling into the very thing that we're trying not to do in our own strength. But when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, well, everything becomes different because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. There's absolutely nothing that we can, nothing here that's going to be read here tonight, any of the commands here tonight, that cannot be done 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We need his enablement, and he's got all the enablement we need for it. He's the author and finisher of our faith, and we can shout as we read each of these commands, faithful is he that calleth you, who's also going to be the one to do it. He's going to be the one to do it. So let's look at the first command given. Rejoice evermore. So making the choice to rejoice. Making the choice to rejoice. Philippians 4.4, Micah talked about this quite a bit there on on Wednesday night. Rejoice in the Lord always, and, and, and again I say rejoice. Now Christians are subject to, just like everyone else in life, they're subject to fluctuations of mood and emotions. Okay? Uh, have you ever had a bad day? Okay. Should I even ask? <laughs> All right. Did you know that pastors have bad days too? All right. People, pastors are, are people too. And pastors can have bad days. Everyone is subject to the changes of circumstances, whether financial, physical, maybe your health. Everyone goes through those different kinds of things. And yet God says, rejoice evermore. None of us can escape the emotion of sorrow when someone in our family dies or or someone, someone that we've loved passes away. None of us can escape that kind of a sorrow. We don't just become callous to those kind of feelings just because we're Christians. We have the Christian badge on. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Yet Christ says, rejoice evermore. Now you knew that already, but why does that matter? Because Jesus wants you to have his joy in the midst of any one of those circumstances. Jesus provides his joy in the midst of any situation that you're going through. Making the choice to exchange your pressure for God's joy is something that God calls us all to do. And why wouldn't you trade for it? Why wouldn't you make the trade? God, I'm going through a hard time right now, I, 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 and I have no cause humanly to rejoice. Lord, I'm trading for your joy. Why wouldn't you take that as a Christian? The burden rests on him. And that's how we can rejoice evermore. I want you to get this tonight. I'm going to say this at the end of each one of these commands. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The very reason that the burden rests on him, the very reason that each one of these commands can be fulfilled is not because of you. It's because of his faithfulness. It's because God is always faithful. He will always come through. And it doesn't matter what we're going through at a certain time. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Number two, you look at pray without ceasing. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. So we find an unceasing prayer life. And, and that's exactly what it is. It, it's, not, it's not an exercise that we do. It's not something that we do three times a day at the dinner table, lunch table, breakfast table. It's a life. It's a life. It should be a life. We, when we think rightly or wrongly about prayer, it's often according to the conception that we have in our minds about what prayer is. What we conceive prayer actually is. When we think that prayer is just God's blessing our food at the kitchen table, we think wrongly. When we think that God is a Coke machine that we stick our quarter prayer in, 
and we expect something to come out instantaneously, we think wrongly. When we think that God is a genie in the bottle and all our prayer does is get things from him, we think wrongly. But when we think about prayer as the breath of our lungs or maybe as the blood that flows from our heart, then we think rightly. And you say, what do you mean by that? Do you ever think about the breath uh, you, your breath throughout the day, except maybe when you're breathing heavily, but do you continually, I've got to keep breathing, otherwise I'm going to die. Or I've got to keep blood flowing through my veins, otherwise I'm going to pass out. Do you ever think that way? No, and you shouldn't. If you do see me afterwards, we'll have some counseling sessions. No, the, you never think that way, okay? And in the same way, Whenever, whenever we think about, whenever we think about our prayer life in that same way, God, the burden's on you to keep me in a right relationship with you. If there's nothing between your soul and the Savior here tonight, and you're wondering, am I still right with God? Do I have to keep myself perfectly aligned with God? Do I have to be thinking about that every moment of every day? That's not life. That's not life. If you're going to bed each night and you're wondering, man, am I going to wake up in the morning? Do I have to consciously wonder about my breathing so that I don't pass out while I'm sleeping? That's not life. That's not true living. In the same way in the spiritual realm, it would be silly to think that we have to consciously be aware of every moment of Jesus keeping us in a perfect relationship with God. That's not life. True life, true life is prayer. It's living in communion with God. Prayer is not, I'll say it again, prayer is not an exercise, it's a life. It's, 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 the, it's the very breath of my relationship to God. Prayer is the very breath of my relationship with God. Just as it, was, it would be silly for me to ask my wife every minute if, I'm, if, if she still loves me. Do you still love me? Yes, dear, I, I still love you. Next minute goes by. Are, you, are, we, still, are we still good? There's nothing there. You still love me, right? Yes, yes, I still love you. It's not on you to make sure that your relationship with God is in joint. It's not on you to make sure that you're fully... Now, now obviously, if there's something that God has shown you to get right, get right but it's on Jesus. The burden's on him to keep that life flowing through you and to keep you in joint with God. The burden, unfortunately, because we, we think in that silly mindset of, man, I've got to try harder. We have the burden of the relationship of God resting squarely on us where it shouldn't be. And so we need to get back into resting on the faithful one. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. How can I pray without ceasing? How can I rest in true life? How can I live a life that's breathing heavenward all the time? Not necessarily verbally or anything like that, but how can I live a relationship that's with him all the time? It's when the burden rests squarely on God. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Number three, 
Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God commands us, give thanks for everything. This is the difficulty here, is being honest. It's an insult to God when we utter words of gratitude when the heart is actually ungrateful. That's That's a difficulty in our lives many times. How can I thank God? And many times this is our human thinking. How can I thank God when I'm going through a time of pain? How can I truly be grateful towards God when I'm going through loss? How can I be grateful towards God through hardship? How can I be grateful towards God when there's, there's friction in this relationship? How can I be thankful towards God? How can I be thankful? And God says, in everything give thanks. You say, that's impossible. You're right. You're right. But faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. It does not rest on your shoulders to be the one that gives thanks. The Holy Spirit can do it through you. That's the Spirit-filled life. It's the Holy Spirit living through you, the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's enablement that can give thanks for everything. And so you say, Holy Spirit, I need, I need your power. I need your enablement. And that's where the burden rests squarely on him. That's where it gets, that's where it gets easy. We, <clears throat> it, it is a, a change that God must make on the inside of us that understands God is in control of the big picture, all of the things that are happening in our lives. And whatever he allows, he's faithful. No matter what situation he's put you in, understanding He's always faithful. And that way you can give thanks. Number four, verse 19, it says, Quench not the Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Spirit is is a gentle voice. It's gentle to the heart of a Christian. When we take a wrong step in in a wrong direction, the Holy Spirit checks us and says, This is not where you should be going. And very gently, with his personalized care, he gets us right back on track. And I love it, just the fact that he does it in the most extraordinary ways. He, when, when the Holy Spirit senses, when we sense the Holy Spirit's being quenched, maybe, maybe we don't sense it, he checks us, and in very father-like ways, he personalizes his care to us to, to get us right back on track. If you're not sensitive to his spirit, if you're not sensitive, you're just going to barge right ahead of him. And you'll miss what God wants to do in your life. And then oftentimes the Holy Spirit will then maybe bring you around the mountain to that very same crisis again to try to teach you that same lesson, to teach you not to quench the Holy Spirit. And if you miss it, you'll miss out on what God wants to do in your life. You end up grieving him. God oftentimes will engineer a crisis specifically tailored to you to teach you maybe some thinking that's wrong, that's quenching his spirit, maybe something in your life that has been there, that's been rooted in your life, but that's quenching him, that's not like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to get that out. 
uh, Oswald Chambers said, never sympathize with that thing that is quenching the very work of God in your life. Don't sympathize. Say, it's okay. It's not really that bad. Or it's, that's, that's what I've always done. Never sympathize with something that God is showing you is quenching the very work of God in your life. You'll end up not being sensitive to the Spirit's voice. You won't be able to hear him. And that's not a good place to be. So God warns against that. The last three commands are kind of stringed together, and we're going to see that here. So I'm going to read those together. Uh, Verses 20 through 22. Despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And here God is saying don't despise what God says to you through preaching and teaching of his word, God cares about your future more than you do. And this, uh, this time, he, he, this could mean talking specifically about the preaching and teaching of God's word. It could talk about someone coming to you and saying, hey, look, if you don't, if you don't understand what God's trying to do in your life, this is what your future is going to hold. This is exactly what, what God's trying to, t- trying to tell you. And, 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 and that's, that command, coupled with the next one, shows us what God's trying to get across. He says, prove all things. And that word there is tested. Tested against what? Scripture. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That meant to test what you're hearing, both from the pulpit and from the world, against against Scripture, just like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They, they were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they, they searched the Scriptures. They were the ones that, that tested things against the Scripture. We need to be like them. Prove all things. And as a result of proving all things, you can then hold fast to that which is good. When, you, when someone tests the beliefs of the world against Scripture, he will always come into contact with the holiness of God and the faithfulness of God. That God is always faithful to his promise. When that happens, you can hold fast to that which is good. You, you see God for who he is. You see his goodness. And it's all possible because of the faithfulness of God. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. We need the Holy Spirit in our life to speak to us through his word each day so that we know what is good. So we know what is of God. God is the very source of good, and God is the very reason that we can abstain from all appearance of evil, those things that, that, that we want to stay away from. Paul ends this, this section with a prayer, and we read over it right at the very beginning. It says in verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to sanctify? <laughs> it means to set apart. Set apart. Holy. All of you. I pray, God, that your whole spirit, your soul, and body, so that's your, the vehicle that you run around in, okay? That's you. Your soul, that's your mind, your will, and emotions, and then your spirit, the part of you that you and I cannot see, the part that is either disconnected from God if you're unsaved, 
or connected to God if you're saved, and he's talking to believers here, he's saying, I'm praying that God would keep you blameless, every part of you, unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul's having to give an answer for them. Paul's the one that taught them for those three weeks. And just in those three weeks, a church began. And Paul is, Paul is, is, is wanting to, to, to give a good report of these folks that were preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is going to, he, he, he's going to sanctify you. He's, he's going to set you apart wholly to his work. What does that mean? It means that every power of body, soul, and spirit are separated for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. God, that, that is, that, that is the, the whole picture of, of seeing Christ for who he is and wanting to be preserved blameless is saying that my faculties, every part of me, is for God to use. I'm, I'm chained. I, I was once chained to sin where, where I was, he was my master, but now I've been set free from that old master, and now I'm actually chained to Christ. And every single part of me is now being used, not in a bad way, not in a slave, slave owner type way, but in a way where all of me is to be used for his purposes and his purposes alone. So what do we find here at the end then? We find God's promise. We find Paul's prayer, but God gives a promise right in the midst of it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. All of this, all of what we've just read, is humanly impossible. There's absolutely no way that you can complete it on your own. You can't rejoice evermore. Have you tried? (laughs) Uh, Without Christ's faithfulness flowing through my life, without me reckoning it and claiming it, I can't rejoice evermore. I can't pray without ceasing. I can't keep from quenching the Holy Spirit. I need him in my life. It can only happen supernaturally, in which case... The burden then must rest squarely upon his shoulders, not mine. The burden rests with him. So tonight, you can live a continuously unhindered walk with God, just as the Thessalonians were learning. And I believe they did. I believe they they responded well to this message that Paul gave them in this book of 1 Thessalonians. You can live a continuously unhindered life and walk with God because God is faithful and the burden rests squarely on him.